Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about worship, and uh, worship is a topic I love to talk about, um, and it's something that for the longest time, man, just to be real with you guys, um, I didn't understand. Like, the whole thing of church and going to church and worship being connected to this service that happened in church, for me personally, um, even as a worship leader and being given these titles connected to worship, um, what began to happen is like, it was just a religious motion for me. Um, and, and as much as I, you know, I, and honestly, I, that's what I thought. I mean, I thought you go to church, you stand there, you sing. The singing part is the worship part. And then, you know, there's, a, there's another part of the service and there's a speaking part and there's an offering part. But the worship part was the singing part. And to be honest with you, as a kid, I didn't like to sing. It might seem surprising to you. Um, very introverted, did not like stages, anything like that. So all, all that to say is worship was something that I wasn't excited about because of what I associated it with. But when we see how God begins to talk about worship and the Bible, and even the, the, the way that we live, the commands that we live according to, um, it is all extremely relational um, and I think that was a big thing for me to understand about worship was that worship was relational. Like it wasn't just this religious obligation. It wasn't a ritual, but it was ebbing and flowing within this relationship of love. And so for me, um, as I stepped into this responsibility, you know, as a, as a really still as a kid, as a teenager of worship leader, I honestly didn't know what I was leading people to do. You know, I thought I was just leading them to song. There's a passage in scripture that we're going to look at tonight in the book of Romans, and it says something about worship that is kind of a jaw dropper. It's a whole life consuming statement. We're going to look at that statement in a minute. But before we get there, I have a question for you. What is one of the most meaningful gifts that you've ever received? Think about that for a minute. If you want to shout out some answers, what's one of the most meaningful gifts you've ever received. And I'll add this to it. Why was it meaningful? Anybody? Engagement ring. What'd you say? Pickup truck. There we go. Why, why was it so meaningful? Yeah, that's awesome. Massive surprise. You said engagement ring. Why was that significant? <laughs> Lester. Lester. Why, why was that no, why, I mean, but see, like, it's, it's such a big deal to have an engagement ring, to commit to someone for a life, right? It's huge. There's sacrifice in that. When somebody gave you a truck, right, when they gave you a vehicle, there was massive sacrifice that went into that. Anybody else have any favorite gifts? They can be small. A banjo. A banjo. Why was it important? Okay. Wow. So there's a lot of history and significance in that too, right? 
I guarantee you this, none of the gifts that mean something to you were just like something where somebody was just like, hey, here you go. Oh, I drew your name for Christmas and uh, you get a fish, you know? By the way, bad idea, okay? I, I man, I, at our youth, when I was back in youth group um, and I was dumber than I am now, I, I got two fish from Walmart and took those as the gift. And I thought, this is gonna be a great white elephant gift, you know? And nobody wanted the fish for some reason. And so I sit there and I'm like, again, an immature kid and I throw the fish in a bonfire. And, and yeah, no, no good, right? Little did I know that the youth pastor's kids who were like super like young, like three and four year olds, you know, wanted the fish and I didn't know this. So then, so then I go and I try to make it right and I take them two more fish the next, that was a Saturday night, Sunday morning I show up at church with two fish and the fish died by the end of church. So it was just bad. So don't give fish as a white elephant gift. Um, but here's the thing, every gift that has significance that's been given to you is a gift that comes from somebody's heart that cost them something that they thought about that was a sacrifice for them, that was given in love. And so tonight, I wanna define a few terms that we use often in the church, but I wanna do it in the context of relationship. They're gonna be up here on the screen. The first word I wanna define is worship. Worship, when I talk about worship in the relational sense, it is our response of love to God's love. Yes, worship is adoration. It is us laying on our face before God, but the heartbeat behind worship is our response of love to God's love. Second word, sin. We use that word a lot, okay? Romans says that whatever we don't do in faith is sin. But when we think about it in a relational context, sin is our failure to act in love. The great commandment is that we love God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says the second is like it. We love our neighbor as ourself. And then he says all of the Old Testament, pretty much, the Bible at that point is built upon that command. So to obey God is to worship God. It's to operate according to his love. To disobey God to sin is our failure to act in love. Here's another word, sacrifice. Sacrifice is how we maintain our relationship with God. It's how you maintain that relationship of love. Anybody that's married understands that in order to even get to that point of, uh, of giving an engagement ring, they had to sacrifice some dollars, right? You're giving your life for someone else's. You're giving your space, your home, right? So sacrifice... It's how we maintain our relationship with God. But when it comes to our relationship with others, service is how we maintain our relationship with others according to love, okay? Now, I just wanted to define these terms in the picture of, of these, this relationship that we're in because I believe it's very important for us to understand what God desires from us because the reality is this, God desires your worship. He does, God desires that our entire life is a display of worship to him, but ultimately it is going to be a response of his love, okay? So Romans 12, that's where I would like to start tonight. 
And we're just going to go to verse 1 because there's a whole lot packed in a couple words here that I really want to spend some time in tonight. So Romans chapter 12 comes in the midst of one of the most systematic books on our salvation. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, what the saved life is all about, then Romans is, a, is going to be the book that's really going to lay it all out, okay? Some of our most quoted passages in regards to salvation come from Romans, all right? So if you're just looking for, you know, somewhere to start in the Word and, you know, and you're like, man, I just want to understand what the Christian faith is all about, Romans, okay? So in the midst of Romans and these instructions, there's, there's a new thought in chapter 12, verse 1, and here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, so you're processing what it looks like to worship. You've learned that Jesus gave his life for you. And now there's this instruction to give your life for Jesus as your spiritual act of worship. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The tension that begins to happen in this thing is if, if we have made worship just mere like ritual, okay, and, and it is all about just um, these obligations that we do in religion, okay, then I can, I can grasp in my head like going to church once a week, singing a few songs, doing that. But if worship is me giving my entire life to God, then there's gonna, be have, there's gonna have to be something very, very significant to compel that kind of reaction, <laughs> okay? If, if I'm gonna be compelled so deeply in my life that I am going to give my life for someone else, it's going to have to be a massive thing. Like, I think about it like this. You know, every year we make a Thanksgiving meal, and uh, we do a pretty traditional meal, make the same thing every year. I don't understand why, because we make the same thing every year, but we run out of, I feel like, the same ingredient making the meal, and it's like 30 minutes before the family's supposed to show up, and we're making, you know, uh, like we, like Daniel makes a sweet potato casserole thing. It's amazing. And the top of it is just straight sugar, okay, and pecans and all this goodness. And it's like every, every year, for some reason, we don't have enough confectioner sugar, or the pecans, like we, we're like, we can get like, like three-fourths of the thing with pecans on top. So what we do in the moment is we begin to go and ask somebody, you know, and we, we call up the family, we call up, you know, the, the neighbors, which we live on family land, so, so our neighbors are family, and we're like, hey, we, we need another quarter cup of pecans, you know? We, we, need a, we need just a cup of confectioner sugar, right? But here's the reality. Somebody meets your need, you say thank you, then you're compelled to give something of similar nature back, right? So, like, I'm, I might give them you know, 
a whole bag of pecans if they let me have just a little bit. I might give them a whole bag of sugar to pay them back. I might make them a pie or something like that. But I'm not going to give them some like ridiculous like gift back. I'm just going to balance it out. If they gave me a cup, I'm going to give them, maybe if my pride kicks in, two cups back. You know what I mean? The reason I make that statement is that the way that we oftentimes respond to things is based on what we've been given. That's the reaction we give back. So when we're reading here in Romans 12 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, the reality is is the only thing that's going to compel us to that point is to recognize there's just been a greater sacrifice that's already been given on our behalf. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is the significance of these sacrifices. So to go back into the Old Testament just a little bit, God designed us for relationships, okay? I've said that, but it's very, very important that we recognize that. Again, the great commandment has to do with loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's relational, all right? So as we think about that relationship, God entered into relationship with mankind through a covenant. Now, we mentioned marriage already tonight, but the covenant I think we're probably most familiar with is marriage covenant. But a covenant is an agreement between two or more parties. And we know what it's like. You know, we know how covenant works. Like, this is what I'm going to be responsible for. This is what you're going to be responsible for. And as long as we maintain our responsibilities, covenant's good. If you break it, I break it, then we go to court and we settle it out, right? So what happens is, is God enters into a covenant with a people group, with a nation of Israel, okay? We, looking back, we, we call them Jews today, but in the Bible, it's the nation of Israel, okay? So God enters into this covenant. Israel's responsibility in the covenant was to uphold the Ten Commandments. Now, even as I talk about Ten Commandments and this relational aspect, the Ten Commandments can be split into two categories. You've got the category that deals with our relationship with God, about worshiping Him, having no other gods before Him, And then you've got the category of Ten Commandments that deal with our relationship with other people. So, because of their love for God, they were instructed to love their neighbor in those ways. That was their end of the covenant. God's end of the covenant was he's going to love them forever. He's going to make them a great nation, bless them, and all that. And what ended up happening, though, was that they broke the covenant. Okay? They broke the covenant. Now, why is this important? Well, as they, as they broke the covenant, as they sinned, what the Bible says is the payment for sin is death. And so what they would do whenever they would sin against God, there was a sacrifice that had to be made on behalf of their sin. It was a mandatory sacrifice. And so As we continue to look at the relationship between God and man, worship was broken whenever we sinned. The way to restore the worship or the relationship with God was to make a sacrifice on behalf of that sin. So as we go through the word, we see that there's two categories of sacrifices, okay? There's mandatory sacrifices and voluntary. The mandatory sacrifices were those that were required by God 
to cover their sin, okay? The intentional and the accidental sin. That was mandatory for the relationship between man and God. But the voluntary sacrifices were those that were the just because things. It was, it was when their hearts overflowed with thanksgiving, they would come and they would offer God grain from their, or there was the grain offering where they gave the fruit of the land. There was the offerings of peace. There was these sacrifices of praise of thanksgiving that happened, okay? But they were from a heart that was filled with love and compassion towards God, recognizing how he had blessed them. Okay, now why is this significant? Well, we continue to look at Israel, and you can imagine they, they do what, what honestly we see happen today in a lot of religious communities is they got in a rut. God desired that they give the voluntary sacrifice and the mandatory sacrifice from a place of love because he loved them. He cared for them deeply. What they ended up doing, though, is realizing, okay, this is just a checkbox. So I sin this week. You go out. They would go out. They would live like the devil. They would go. I mean, they were, they were killing innocent people. They were going and doing these awful things. I mean, just adulterous relationships, you name it. All this stuff was happening in their life. And then come Sabbath, they're going to make the sacrifice and they do the mandatory sacrifice, do what they got to do to get by, go do the offering, do the, the normal thing, and then get right back to sin. This got to this point where God actually came to this place in Isaiah through the prophet Isaiah, and he's like, y'all, will you quit? Just stop your, your offerings, your sacrifices, your worship. I don't want them anymore. And he begins to tell them, like, listen, we need, to, we need to reason together because your hands are full of blood. I want to make you clean, but right now you've got to stop with these offerings. Why would God ask them that they stop? It's because it was a worthless gift to him. It was not coming from their heart. It wasn't captured by love. It wasn't true worship as I defined it earlier today. And so you can imagine in this relationship, which by the way, the Bible refers to this relationship between God and Israel like a marriage. But at that point, the word says that she was Israel, the bride was acting like a whore. Like she was like a prostitute, like she was going after other, her affection was other places, yet she was still yoked to him. It was like that's legit what the Bible says, and that's what the worship relationship was like. Like it was really non-existent. Worship wasn't happening. So, as we just pause on that for a moment, in your relationship with someone, like like when you were married, and your relationship gets to this point in the road where it's really challenging, and there's some unfaithfulness or something there. If there is one person in the relationship who is willing to be full of grace and love and model the heart of Jesus, what I've seen is that it's really amazing what that marriage can actually go through and the elasticity of it, how far it can stretch without completely breaking. And what we see with the relationship between God and Israel is that he was willing to stretch, stretch, and stretch. But finally, he renewed the vows. He gave them a new covenant. 
And in the same way that marriages that have went through a lot come back together and they have a vow renewal ceremony to remind each other that they're committed, this is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So you've got God who in the metaphor of marriage here is functioning as the husband saying, listen, I'm going to forgive my bride and I will choose to never remember her sin again. Here's, what, here's what's so significant about this. Up until this point, they're stuck in religious obligation. And they're in this religious obligation to deal with their sin. They don't want to stop sinning, so they continue to offer this sacrifice. But now, Jesus steps in in the future. This is the foreshadowing of Jesus, by the way. This is God explaining in history how Jesus is going to affect his bride is that through Jesus, this mandatory sacrifice is now going to be eliminated. If you eliminate the mandatory and the religious aspects that have to be fulfilled for a relationship with God, then all you have left is the voluntary sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. And so, as we begin to process this and go through the word, here's what we see in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's looking back on Old Testament times, and here's how it explains what happened. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, well, we have, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What is the word saying? In order to maintain relationship with God and to maintain that heart of worship, whenever we sin in the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice made. There was an animal that was killed, a ram that was brought for the people. It was slaughtered to cover their sin, okay? Now, Jesus is this perfect, spotless lamb who gave his life to cover our sin once and for all. That's why when you came in here today, we didn't have an animal sacrifice. It didn't smell like steak, okay? That's why. It's because Jesus has satisfied that for us once and for all. And, and my prayer is that that stops you and sobers you 
the fact that he has forgiven you, he has extended forgiveness to you once and for all. He has eliminated the need for the mandatory sacrifices. And if he's eliminated the mandatory, then the only sacrifice that is left is the one that is full of desire, it's full of thanksgiving and praise because you recognize that your sin is covered once and for all. You now have a relationship with God that is unbroken at all time through Jesus Christ. And it is that that I believe truly compels us to present our body as a living sacrifice according to what Romans 12 says we should be doing. So we think about sacrifice too. Think about it like this. Sacrifice without love is religion. Sacrifice without love is religion. Sacrifice with love is worship. There's a tendency to read the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts rather than a love letter and an invitation to engage in relationship. I promise you, if you read the Bible as a love letter of this epic love story between God and this people, Israel, and then ultimately between God and the church, you and I, there's a lot more compelling evidence to be a living sacrifice than if you just read it as a law book in a check box, right? Like just this massive checklist. That's not what the word is. And so as we read this, let's come full circle to what Romans 12 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember what I said about worship, that worship is our response of love to God's love. What Jesus says when he's describing like the greatest display of love, he says it's when you lay down your life for your friends. And he looked at his disciples and he called them his friends to explain what he was about to do. The cross was an act of sacrifice, yes, but it was ultimately an act of love. The other thing that I love that, that Paul writes here, though, when we're back in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. His appeal is fueled by the compassion that comes from God. Based on his love and his compassion for you, now, in response to that, present your body as a living sacrifice. The word living is important too. Because you see, the Old Testament was full of a lot of dead sacrifices. And I think a lot of times when we think about what it looks like to surrender to Jesus, we think, man, it means I, I'm going to take a part of me and I'm never going to get it back. But what it means to be a living sacrifice before the king is to say, Father, here is my body ready to go. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. I'm ready to run. You tell me where to go. 
It is now like to surrender to Jesus is not to necessarily kill something, but as a living sacrifice, it's to say, Father, I am ready to go. Use my creativity. Use my hands. Fill me. Make me new with your spirit. Anything you don't like in me, it's, it, feel free to fix it. But Father, I am ready to roll. Let's go. I'm alive. And I'm for you. And I think sometimes we, we get this idea, this picture of sacrifice, that it's just about me dying. And yes, the word invi- like tells us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus, absolutely. And there are a lot of things in our life that will die when we step into faith with Jesus. But I want you to understand that his desire for you is to be living and active. He breathes life into you. You are moving. You are active. You are not stagnant. You are not dead. You don't smell like, like stagnant water. You're refreshing. That is the living sacrifice he's called us to be. But we're not compelled by religious obligation to do this. It's by the compassion, by the mercies of God. And so as we continue to put this together today, know this, Jesus has fulfilled the mandatory requirements for our sin, leaving us free to worship God with the voluntary sacrifice of our life. That word voluntary is very important. God is gentle, he is patient, he is kind. Although he commands love, yes, he compels us to love with his own love. He didn't give us a command to do something he wasn't going to do for us. And he doesn't invite you to be a living sacrifice without first sacrificing his life for you. And so as we think about that, how Jesus meets us in those things, here's the last question that I have. What would actually compel somebody, though, now to be a living sacrifice? Like, what's going to compel us to wake up and say, Lord, I want to worship you with my entire life today? And what I believe is going to come from is a heart of thanksgiving. But I think a lot of us here today, we're like, man, like, I just don't know. Like, I don't, am I, am I, like, I just feel like I'm a broken mess. Anybody feel like a broken mess? I, I feel like a broken mess often, okay? Like there's sometimes when I think like, here, like God would really want to use this kind of person, but that's not me. Like God would really like to use, you know, somebody that's, that's very outgoing. It's very quick to have a, con, you know, a conversation, not somebody that's more on the introverted side of things like me. Or I might sit here and think like, man, yeah, God might use this person who was raised you know, this way, who, who did this and never made this mistakes, but somebody that's had the thoughts and the things that I've had, how, could, how in the world could God use me? Like, how could I be a living sacrifice? I mean, Jesus was a living sacrifice and it was perfect. I'm far from perfect. I am broken. What is the hope for me? And I just want to tell you something, friends. Like, if you're at that place of being broken right now, you are actually I think in one of the most powerful seats to be a living sacrifice, to be completely made new and used. And here's why. This is what the word says. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
King David said these words after his sin, and I'm talking a lot of sinning, okay? He had an affair, killed the woman's husband. He went through a lot of heartache. I mean, there was so much that happened in his life. And so Psalm 51 is his confession. And as he comes and he begins to confess, what is produced in him is this word, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That word broken spirit, broken and contrite heart literally means smashed. If you feel like your heart is smashed and you are broken and you're trying to figure out where to go next and how to put the pieces back together again, what the word says is that you are a sacrifice to God that will not be despised. Y'all, he is so good. He loves you so much. He cares for you deeply. Like, he is kind. He's gentle. We read about God's wrath in the Bible, and sometimes we feel like that wrath's coming to us. The reality is this. God chose a bride, and he was wrathful towards anything that would come against his bride, and he desired his bride to love him. And he protected his bride. And even when his bride was unfaithful, he was still faithful to her to the point to extend this renewed marriage vow and send Jesus to bridge that gap to make her whole and to relieve her of these obligations so she could live full of desire. So is God wrathful? Yes. He dumped his wrath out on Jesus Christ to love and wrap you in his arms so that you would not experience the full wrath of God. He's eliminated your religious obligations of sacrifice, so all you have to do is sit there in the midst of the receiving, in the flow of his love and his grace, and say, Father, here I am. I'm full of thanksgiving. I'm full of joy. I praise you. My adoration is to you. You are King Jesus. That's what he leaves us with. So if you're broken, you will not be despised by the king. So as we close today, here is the heart that I believe leads us to be this living sacrifice that Romans 12 invites us to be. I believe that ultimately the heart is a heart of thanksgiving, and I believe thanksgiving flows from humility. I believe the person that is broken in spirit, who has a broken and contrite heart, they have been completely humbled and stripped of their selves. And I believe if that is you, then I believe this is the progression for you. I would also say this, I would think that if you feel like you are something apart from Jesus Christ, that you think you have some amount of good in your life to offset your bad, and you think in your pride and your arrogance that that is going to please God, I would just invite you to come back to this passage, read these words, and find yourself humble tonight. But this is what I believe leads us to be a living sacrifice. First of all, that we are humble to see our need. I need to be humble to see my need. If 
I can humble myself to first see my need, to confess my sin and realize the fact that I need help, I'm in a good place. Second thing is this, from that, from seeing your need, be humble to ask for help. What Jesus says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. He's delighted to grant you the request according to his will. His will is for your restoration. His will is for your salvation. So be humble to ask for help. Third, be humble to receive the gift. Because here's the thing. If you come before the Lord and you say, Father, this is my need. I need you to help me. He's going to come and extend a gift to you. Unfortunate thing is sometimes our pride steps in. We're like, no, I can't have that gift. I don't need that gift yet. Our shame comes in and, and our shame, we're like, man, I just need to, I need to beat myself up a little bit more. You know, I, I don't know that I've punished myself enough for what I did. No, listen, when you ask for God to come in and meet a need, receive it when he, when he gives it. Because he's going to come and meet you with grace. Receive his grace. And then fourth, be humble to say thank you. You see, the voluntary sacrifices in the Old Testament were those sacrifices that stem from this heart of thanksgiving. They recognized God had met their need. They recognized God had delivered them. They recognized that God had blessed them that year financially, or they blessed them in, in, in so many different ways. And so they would give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice in Romans 12 Presenting your body as a living sacrifice before God, daily coming before him is gonna come when you are at this place where you are so humbled by the gift of grace that you just stand before the king and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you bled and you died in my place. And you sit there and you go before the Lord and, and you're like, Father, the... All I have to give now is my life. All I have to give is this living sacrifice. And it's broken too. But Father, would you receive this gift? Would you receive my life as an offering of praise to you? So tonight, here's how I'd like to end. I would love to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and ask the Lord to reveal to you how much he loves you. And as he begins to show you pictures tell you things, as words come to mind about how much he loves you, my prayer is that your soul is filled with gratitude. Because it's only at that place where you're filled with gratitude that you're going to step forward and truly worship. And that's, that's my prayer for us as a church. As as it is one of my life callings to help lead the church in worship and lead the church to continue to, to step out in faith. My prayer for you, church, 
is that you see how great the love of Jesus is, how beautiful the gospel is, and that it stirs your heart so much that it compels you so much where your life is full of gratitude. And you come before the king and you say, Father, here's my life, use me. Here's my life, Father, I'm ready to go, let's go. Here's my house, here's my keys, here's my car, here's my work, everything, a living sacrifice to you, Father, I surrender to you. So tonight, if you see your need, ask for help. If you ask for help, receive his grace. And tonight, if you've received his grace, would you respond in gratitude tonight? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness.